Hey everybody, welcome to episode 157 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is Chris coming to you on a Tuesday and my sincere apologies for the late episode this week. I had recorded one yesterday, an interview that I hope to be able to post yesterday, but we had an audio glitch that unfortunately caused us to lose significant portions of that interview, so now working on getting that finished up and rescheduled so sorry about the, the the delay in getting this out on a Tuesday but I'm going to switch things up with a different topic that I've had on my mind recently and we're going to talk today about the idea of mileage running mileage and how to think about that there's of course a quote-unquote famous early episode of the running rogue podcast where we talked about the idea that mileage matters and of course we very much believe that mileage matters. That was episode number seven. But at the same time, I think for some, they might begin to think of it in simplistic terms as just a brute force instrument. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about the nuances of that point, miles matter, and how to think about getting the right mileage for you as an individual as that can vary significantly depending on where you are. So we'll talk about that today as the main topic. Before we get there, I've got a couple of things to cover in advance, some current events and some notes and emails. Uh, The first thing I wanted to do is give a shout out to a runner, David from the UK, who was visiting and in town from Austin and his wife was at a conference here and he said, he shot me a, a note on instant messaging and said, hey, you mind if I pop in on some of your runs and he did he joined us for i think three runs while he was here two with two with me one with the group i coach and one with a group that i run with myself and it was fun to have a listener in town jumping in so if you're ever in austin and you want to jump in with us please do shoot me a note but also wanted to give a shout out to david's friend gary gary is someone who I think helped turn David onto the podcast and is a big listener from the UK. And Gary finished his 100th marathon yesterday, which is an amazing milestone. So I wanted to give Gary a shout out. Gary from the UK, well done on getting 100 done. That is very, very impressive. I think most of us are just happy to do one much and certainly much less 100. So congrats to Gary and thanks to David for popping in while you were in Austin. That was a lot of fun. Also wanted to thank everybody who has sent me messages about the the last episode, episode 156, where I talked about my thoughts on the Mary Kane uh, situation. And so thank you for to all of those who shared with me your perspectives and or just said said thank you to me for talking about it. I wanted to share some thoughts from one of our listeners. This is from a listener from Sweden that I thought added some particularly good notes to the discussion. And she's got a couple things here that I wanted to mention that I'm just going to read from her email. So we've got this, this quote from her. She says, The first point is that for me personally, the best argument against aiming for weight loss slash goal weight isn't that it just doesn't work. I'm not an expert by any means, but I just don't believe that. Intuitively, it makes sense. And all these people talking about weight as an important factor can't just be completely wrong, right? 
Instead, the most helpful conversations I've had on this topic have been with people who have told me, yes, weight loss might make you run faster in the short term, but the long-term risks seriously outweigh those benefits. I'm not denying that weight is a factor, but pointing to examples of promising runners whose careers did not become what they could have been because of osteoporosis or injuries or mental problems due to weight loss, perhaps this is what you meant when you were talking about it in the last episode, but for me, I think it's important to not just dismiss talk about weight loss to enhance performance as a plain myth, but to dare to have an honest conversation about where you might emphasize the huge long-term risks and weigh them against potential short-term benefits. Perhaps you think this perhaps you think this is obvious, but to me there's a distinction to be made there. And I think that is a fair distinction and I appreciate the point. She goes on to say, the second thought I had is about food and nutrition and running. I know in previous episodes, for instance, the one about Shalane Flanagan, you've emphasized the importance of a healthy and nutritious diet for performance. I often hear people talk about this, and of course, I'm all on board and try to eat as healthy as possible. However, I've realized that for me personally, and I think this could only apply to others as well, eating healthy must be secondary to eating at all. Again, this might sound obvious, but I know from personal experience that being too strict with yourself about what to eat can create a lot of pressure, which can result in that you simply skip eating after a workout, for instance. I think this is especially true for young girls and women in the sport. I therefore tell myself that the most important thing is that I eat something and what I eat is of secondary importance. This takes some of the pressure off and I think keeps me from falling into unhealthy thought patterns because it's so easy to go there. I'm fully aware that this may be suboptimal for my performance, but again, long-term sustainability and development is what I'm after and I think this is the best and healthiest way for me to achieve that. So thank you to our listener from Sweden for adding those points to the discussion. I think those those thoughts are helpful nuance and important and made me reflect particularly your second point on this idea of eating healthy and how just the concept can be dangerous. Talking about it can be dangerous because it, it can be a trigger for some. I also, we had a debate within our message boards or not debate, but a discussion within our message boards for the podcast training group about this idea that it can be sometimes stressful to try to follow all of these so-called healthy eating standards and that sometimes that can just put you over the edge on its own just trying to be good. It can be stressful or exhausting even if you are being quote-unquote a healthy eater. It can be really intense to get there or maybe a burden mentally and so I think your second point hits home well there that certainly Getting something in and, and just not being too strict or rigorous about it can be important. And recognizing that not only is it important to be physically healthy based on what you put in your body, but also mentally healthy based on what it takes to get there. I know, as I've talked about, for me, I've had periods where I was trying to be quote-unquote good and tracking things at great detail using the MyFitnessPal app and things like that. And I got into, I think, some some danger zones doing that, being a little bit too rigid, particularly about the variety of food that I was putting in my body. And that, I think, caused some issues that ultimately led to a stress fracture in me in Boston. And since that time, I realized my mistakes. I now kind of recognize that for what it was, which was a period of disordered eating in my life. And now I just know that I can't go back to that place of tracking every detail of being so rigid. And so personally, I try to 
eat things in moderation, not avoid things that I enjoy, and on the margin, put some more green, more green things on my plate for the nutrients that I need, then I do worry too much about exactly how it all comes together. And that puts me in a happy and healthy place. I also personally don't weigh myself anymore, even though I used to do that pretty regularly in, in heavy training with this idea that there was some magical race weight to, to be gained. But that I think also led to unhealthy habits and thought patterns that just weren't optimizing my performance. And I think we all probably have some story about that in our own world. And I appreciate Nilla from Sweden adding some additional color to the discussion. And again, thanks to everybody who jumped in on that. I do have a, a female coach that I'll be bringing on to talk about this in more depth. And so we'll get to that in an upcoming episode. Additionally, a couple of current events I wanted to call out before we jump into the main topic here. One is that there was a world 15K record from Letzenbet Gide this past weekend. Letzenbet, she ended up getting second to Sifan Hassan in the 10,000 meters in Doha at the World Champs. She made the move with about a mile to go to try to break Hassan, but could not do it as Hassan came around in that really final 200 to finish with the win. While Letzenbet was on the roads and at a race in the Netherlands that I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, but it's called the NN Zevenhoven Loop, if I can get that right. And it was a 15K world record on the roads for Gide, and she ended up smashing the previous record by a minute and 17 seconds that was previously owned by Jocelyn Jepkoskai, who had set that record when she ran the half marathon record in 2017 in Prague. So it was previously a 45-37 record. Gide ran it in 44-20, which is really, really impressive and shows that she will be a force to be reckoned with on the roads. And and it'll be interesting to see if she continues to move up in distance. Now, one thing that this result did, for better or for worse, is bring the the Vaporfly slash next percent discussion to the shorter distances as she was running this race in one of those shoes. I didn't see the exact one. One of the Nike the Nike 4% shoes. And so now the great debate on the interwebs is how much that would have benefited her over the course of this 15K or 9.3 mile race distance, which I will not debate and discuss. But just so you know, we've now extended that discussion beyond the marathon and even actually to the world of college cross country as one of the the, the college cross country meets this past weekend was moved to the roads due to ice and snow on the course. And as a result, the one of the teams, I believe it was Cornell, ended up doing that race in, in Vapor Flies and Next Percents. And so that debate is now also happening in, in the collegiate level about whether or not that's fair. And again, I won't debate any of that right now, but just so you know, it's now now more than just a debate about the marathon, and it's extended to other distances as well. Also wanted to give a shout out to 
my co-host with the Clean Sport Collective podcast, Kara Goucher. She ran her first ultra marathon this past weekend in at the North Face Endurance Challenge in San Francisco, 50K distance, and ended up the third female on the day in that race, which was uh, really cool to see. I had the opportunity to moderate a panel at the North Face Endurance Challenge on Friday with Kara, Alicia Montano, and Rob Carr and Dylan Bowman from the Trail World. They were all on that panel with me where we talked about clean sport, and that panel discussion will come up in a future episode of the Clean Sport Collective podcast, but that was a really fascinating discussion to see the contrast and compare and contrast the track, the road, and the trail approach to the idea of clean sport, not just from a cultural perspective, but also from a testing and procedural perspective. So we had that discussion on the panel and look out for that on the Clean Sport podcast. We did that on Friday and then Kara raced on Saturday to finish third in her first ultra and, you know, a really impressive result for her, especially given the intensity of the last several weeks. I know she's been she's been stressed and emotionally affected by some of the recent news and storytelling around the Mary Kane story. And you know, we interviewed Mary Kane for that podcast last Wednesday. So she she led that interview and did that right before she flew out to San Francisco on Thursday, did the panel Friday and raced Saturday. So it was a pretty intense week for her emotionally and just cool to see her run strong run well get that first ultra done and and finish on the podium no less inside the top 30 as well I think 27th out of about 500 runners so hats off to my co-host over at clean sports for that and if you haven't already listened to our latest episode there episode 20 where we interviewed Mary Kane I would highly encourage you to do that gets even more in depth with Mary Kane on her experiences with Salazar at the Oregon Project. And there's some truly heartbreaking storytelling there that, you know, I think you want to have the Kleenex at the ready as you listen, but I think it's important continued storytelling to help us really bring change in our sport on this topic of weight and performance. So go check that out. All right. So that's it for my intro. Now I want to talk about this main topic, and I'm going to keep this relatively tightly discussed today. So miles matter. Let's talk about miles matter. And for those longtime listeners, as I said, we've talked about this to great detail in episode seven, as well as in episode one, where we kind of teed up the core rogue training principles mileage and you know the idea of more mileage was was really the byproduct of Arthur Lydiard's work in our sport and and so it, it became an important foundational element of training in the 50s through the work of coach Lydiard and obviously is now a big part of training at any level in our sport is this idea that the more you run the faster you can be and we talk about that again in episode seven quite a bit but the reason i wanted to add some hopefully nuance to that discussion today is for a couple of reasons so i wanted to tee up the the why behind this episode and then we'll talk about some of my thoughts and takeaways for you but 
part of the reason why I've been thinking about this is because we're working on a rogue website revamp, which will be hopefully coming out in uh, January. And as a part of that, we're looking at all the copy that we have on our current site. And we have one page currently dedicated to our training principles where we talk about this idea that miles matter. And so as we were working through some of the language on that page as a group within our internal rogue team, we had a big debate led by Jen Harney, who's our who writes a lot of our curriculum and is one of our coaches in Cedar Park and is a just a long time, really good, really solid coach. And she was making the argument that this idea that miles matter just as a point by itself, while she believes in it and believes in the basic concept behind it, she also thinks it's a dangerous point because some people take that as a, again, sort of a brute force concept. And then without really thinking about the nuances, just try to hammer out all the miles. And she was making the point that it is truly more of an individualized discussion that needs to be treated as such. And that while miles matter, it's really in the context of where you are as a person, what your goals are, what you're trying to accomplish, the constraints are in in your life and what you need to balance. There's a lot of factors that go into it from an individual standpoint And she has seen a lot of runners just simply shoot for a certain target mileage because they think they should or because another runner is hitting that mileage. And so they think that's what they need for themselves. And it can cause potentially issues, injuries, challenges, maybe maybe overtraining. And so she wanted to add some us to add some nuance to that discussion on our site so that we appropriately communicate that, yes, mileage matters but truly only in the context of the individual runner. And and I think that's a great, great point. So it's been something I've been noodling on personally. I've also had a recent, I, don't, I wouldn't call it crisis, but a little bit of a personal mini con- crisis of confidence myself as I've been thinking about my own training. And this year, for a few reasons, I've had a little bit lower mileage levels than I typically would have at this time. And so I've, I was getting down, I had a discussion with, with another runner and was found myself in a little bit of a Strava rabbit hole the other day and was comparing my mileage for the year so far to that of others. And, you know, I'm at, I was just pulling up Strava here. I'm at 2,257 miles so far this year, at least according to Strava. And we've got, you know, about six weeks to go. So I should finish somewhere probably 2,600 or so miles for the year, more than 50 a week, which is, you know, pretty good for me. I actually think it'll be a little bit more than I had last year because I had a big chunk where I was out with injury last year. So it's, a lot of miles that I'm running, but I happened to start comparing myself to a couple of other runners that are already over 3000 miles for the year versus my just over 2200. And I got into this absolutely silly personal cycle and of just self-flagellation and thinking, man, I should, I should be doing more miles and, and making those comparisons and thinking for a bit, that I was inadequate in my training because I wasn't at a certain 
number of miles for the year already. And, and that is a dangerous spiraling cycle that I think happens to a lot of people. And I wanted to just call it out and say, look, even me as a coach who knows better, I'm not immune to those types of comparisons. And, you know, while certainly there would have been some weeks this year where I wish I had been better about my mileage overall, I've been hammering out really consistent 50 plus miles a week all year. And, you know, that's on average. And currently in training, I've been in the 65 to 70 range recently as I've been gearing up for for this Austin marathon cycle that I'm currently in. So I'm in a really solid place right now. So it's just a silly idea that I would even worry about or compare myself to others. And so that also got me continue to think about this idea that it's easy for us as runners because we know the importance of mileage to, to make you, to make you faster it's easy for us to get into that spiral where we may arbitrarily have a certain number that we think we have to hit or where we may compare ourselves to others in a way that can be dangerous and counterproductive because again, everybody's in a different place with different goals, with different things they're trying to balance. So I wanted to talk a little bit about today, this question of, okay, if miles matter, then how as an individual do you figure out where your mileage levels should be. And so I want to talk about some of the fundamental principles underneath that concept to hopefully help you sort that out for where you are and, and maybe debunk this, this idea that just brute force mileage without really any, any consideration for the, the individual impact can be, can be good and so let's let's talk about that Uh, but but as we jump into that I also want to remind you the reason why we want to run miles and you know and and that's really so that we can develop the aerobic system change the body from the inside out improve our global ability to process oxygen which means more mitochondria in your cells it means more capillaries in your working muscles it means changes in your bloodstream involving your red blood cells and their ability to carry more oxygen. It means changes in your lungs and your lung capacity and your lungs ability to pass oxygen into your bloodstream. All of those changes physiologically happen when you're running long, easy distance, as Lydia would call it. But it has to be done in a way that is specific to the individual that keeps you healthy and consent allows you then to be consistent because of that health. And so what should you think about in order to find that appropriate mileage level for you? And, you know, I think the first point in that discussion is that it really depends on your history, significantly depends on your history and you don't want to make big leaps from block to block or from year to year even because if you do that, it's opening you up to injury. I think it's also potentially risking overdoing it to get you potentially into an overtraining cycle. And while you might see immediate short-term gains, it could be dangerous in the long term if you aren't patient about things. And so what does that mean? And I think that generally means that 
increasing your mileage from one training block to the next by or one year to the next by no more than 10 to 20 percent overall is a general range now where you fall into that 10 to 20 percent it's going to depend on your base and so maybe a better way to think about it is sort of five to ten miles as the range if we're using absolute numbers but to me it's not it's dangerous and counterproductive to increase by more than that from one cycle to the next now of course there's always potential exceptions to that rule depending on somebody's history but if you're starting with a certain foundation, then I would think about that 5 to 10 mile window as something you don't want to increase by more than that from one cycle to the next. And, you know, so that might mean if you've been running 30 miles a week consistently, you could look at 35 to 40 miles in that next cycle. But not more than that without really careful consideration with your coach and of course as you increase mileage that always comes with the caveat that you need to make sure that you're running those easy and recovery miles slow enough so that it all fits together and works now for a second here i want to comment on a related point which is that some people will say well i can't run more because I will get injured. And while that could be true, I think it also has to be considered with this idea of are you running those easy miles and those recovery miles slow enough? And in general, brute force rule of thumb on that, you know, at least a, mi- a minute slower than marathon pace, up to potentially two to three minutes slower than marathon pace for some recovery miles. If you're not running, those easy and recovery miles in that range, then you're going too fast, which which means that, yes, if you increase mileage and you're going too fast in that additional mileage, then yes, you are likely to get injured from that result. But if instead you keep it appropriately easy on those easy days and or recovery days, then you should be able to increase that mileage and do it in a safe way so that it all fits together. So that's an important caveat in in this discussion. So that's one rule of thumb is don't increase by more than 10 to 20% or 5 to 10 miles roughly from one cycle to the next. Second rule of thumb for me is that it's it can be for many more important to determine how your mileage fits together in a given week across days than it does just that total number. I think oftentimes we get into this trap of thinking that the total number is what really matters. And while certainly there is some credence to that fact that your total mileage is an important variable, I actually worry more as a coach about how those miles fit together within the week. And if they're appropriately balanced so that you're getting the right work done on the right days and also you're recovering when you need to and so forth. So for me, the composition of your week might be more important than the total number at the end that you might see on Strava uh, for total miles in the week. So what does that mean? What does that look like? First part of that discussion is 
the number of days you run. And in general, I prefer people to worry about the number of days they're running before they worry about the total mileage that they're running. And if somebody's building, I always encourage them to build the days first, then build mileage on the days. Because I feel personally as a coach that running more days is the glue, the grease, so to speak, that can actually make the higher volume work as you get your body used to that routine of getting out there and doing the work. Again, with the caveat that you're doing it at the easy enough efforts, slow enough paces. So build days first for half marathoners or those who might be doing half marathon or less in distance. Personally, I prefer that you try to get to five days a week with two off days. Again, there's exceptions to every rule. Sometimes I can have people do four days a week with another day that might be a cross-training day, an aerobic cross-training day on a bike, maybe in swimming. And so that could be a potential equation. But if you're trying to optimize, I think, your speed for half marathon or less, then in my preference, I would push someone to do try to get to five days a week. For marathoners, you know, I think five or six days a week is the preference with one off day. Again, there's always exceptions to that rule, but days a week is something that matters. Then beyond that, how those days fit together. So if I had somebody running five days a week, then that would look like one quality, hard quality session which is going to be you know, dependent on your race distance and also you know, very depending on how you might be periodizing your training. So one quality day, one long run day where you're doing your longest run of the week, one medium long run day, which would be a midweek run that is sort of medium in distance for half marathoners or people running less than half marathon distance. I like to see at least six to eight miles on that medium long run day for marathoners i like to see you know 10 8 to 10 potentially 8 to 12 depending on your total volume but a medium long run day in addition to that long run day a quality day as we said so that's three days and then two recovery days a week one would be after your quality day another would be after your long run day those recovery days super easy pace could be a little bit shorter in distance. They're the active rest, the grease that kind of keeps you healthy year round. So that's your five days a week. One medium long, one long, one quality, two recovery days. And so to me, it's more important that you have those days at the right level for you than it is that you get to some magic total miles. Because if you were doing 30 miles a week, on three days a week of running to me that's less optimal than 30 miles a week on five days a week running where you have all of the pieces fitting together the way they should because when you're only running three days a week if you're doing a quality run maybe a medium long run and a long run then you don't have any of that recovery time that allows everything to fit together and for you to be sustainably healthy and resilient for the long term so five days a week 
that's what it would look like. Six days a week, you would just add another easy run that would probably be somewhere between the recovery days and that medium long day. And so all of that's to say, I, I would prefer you figure out how to construct your week than, than I would have you worry about your total miles, at least initially. And so what does that mean? What are the implications of that? So one would be that if you don't currently have a true medium long day, and let's say maybe you're running a long run day, a quality day, and then you have three other days in the week that are of the same distance, then I would actually prefer you mix that up to, and let's say you have three other days in the week where you're running 18 miles total across those three days outside of a long run day and a quality day. So that's six miles a day. Maybe you right now you're just running six miles a day on those other three days. And let's say you're in marathon training. Personally, I would prefer you do a 10 mile day and two four mile days for recovery than three six mile days. Because that 10 mile day is going to give you more bang for your aerobic buck overall in the grand scheme of things as a part of that 18 miles a week that you're doing on those three days than if you had a three six mile days those longer the longer you're out there that that medium distance medium long run distance is in my opinion the unsung hero of fitness building and so establishing that tree true medium long run day even if it means you're running the same number of miles across a section of the week to me is really important, then that means you've gotten that. You still got those short recovery days, four miles each. And in general, three to four miles, I think is a minimum of getting out there for recovery. But that configuration of mileage is across those three days to me would have more impact than if you just ran six days a week on those three days. So that's an example of how really it's less about total mileage, at least initially, than it is about constructing your week in a way that's optimizing every day so that it, it has the purpose that it should and is allowing you to build fitness as you should. So that's the next consideration. So first is sort of your starting point and not building too much from that starting point. The second would be constructing your week and your routine. I should also add, by the way, that once you construct that routine in that week, largely it should look the same, at least in terms of how the days fit together year-round for you. And yes, those medium-long run distances might vary depending on whether you're training for a marathon or a half marathon or a 10K. But overall, that basic structure of the week is going to be consistent and should be consistent year-round. And, you know, other than perhaps times when you're tapering or building back after a big race. So think about that. What's your routine and how can you then consistently maintain it? The third thing, once you have that routine established, is to talk about your constraints as a human and, and how that might impact the total miles you might get to based on your constraints, based on how much sleep you can get, based on your stress levels, based on how much time you have, based on the goals you have and what you might need to do to achieve those goals, based on past performance, 
And this is where it becomes a little bit tricky because I think part of this is that there is, there's the, the theory here that, you know, we should do more miles than we did last cycle, that we should try to continue to build that over time or that we need to get to a certain mileage level in order to run our fastest marathon. And while those things are considerations, you could only run as much mileage that you personally can recover from. And I think that's an important nuance to the, to the discussion that, you know, you, and on paper you can look at it and say, well, because of the sleep I'm getting or because I have these constraints at work and I have this stress level in my life, then there's theoretically some algorithm and black box you could put all that information into and say, here's the mileage that I think I can run per week. But in reality, there is no such algorithm or computer that will spit out that number. And while you can consult a coach and that coach might have some thoughts for you and help you figure that number out, it's also, in my opinion, really, really important to then go experiment yourself, figure out what works, learn what works for you over time, listen to your body. I think there's a common misnomer that that I think is a little bit dangerous, which is that you should be completely wrecked and tired all the time when you're training for a race. Particularly, this discussion comes up in training for the marathon. And while there is that three to four week period, I think, in marathon training, where you're right before the taper, where you're really living on the edge and pushing the limits with your long runs and with your workouts. I think there is that window in marathon training and really training for any distance, that intense peaking phase that might be anywhere from two to four weeks in length. I think that is the window where maybe on the margin you're going to be pretty exhausted, beat up and all those things. But if that's a year round proposition for you, or if you're training at levels that cause you to be feeling that way outside of those windows consistently, then I think it's probably a sign that you're doing too much and that potentially backing off could be a benefit to you. You know, there was a time in my training where I was, and, and I've done up to 100 miles a week before in my past. This would be pre-kids and when life had a little bit different set of stress loads. And so I know that physically my body can handle you know, 90 to 100 miles a week. But I also know now that given the constraints of my life and work stress, things I'm balancing, I can't do that and optimize performance. And so I went through a period of playing with that. And now I've learned, you know, that really 65 to 70 miles per week is really the sweet spot for me. And, you know, I'll be on the higher end of that range when I'm in prime marathon mode and I'll be somewhere on the lower to middle end of that range pretty much everywhere else with obviously some periods of time where I'm doing less than that especially in when I'm in transition mode so and that's in that's on up weeks not not necessarily on down weeks where you know as as you know we encourage kind of a cycle there we do a three-week cycle two up weeks one down week generally within our rogue world but that's that's what I found and and when I switched 
from really trying to press and do, you know, there was a time right before I realized this, that I was trying to do 80 to 85 miles a week, thinking that that's what I should be able to handle. And honestly, I was in a bit of a plateau and wasn't feeling great in training. So made the decision to back off a little bit and was then able to start progressing again. So that's, to me, a consideration is what are the loads you're carrying and listening to your body and responding to those loads. And if you find yourself just exhausted and beat up and not able to maintain training well without without being tired and without being sort of mentally exhausted, then that's probably a sign that you're trying to train at too high a mileage level and that if you backed off a little bit, you might actually get to a happier place. But you have to really listen to your body, play with it, practice different levels, see what works from one cycle to the next, and live and learn, and then adjust. And ideally, you'll have a coach to help you kind of sort through that. But to me, that's an important part of the long-term development as a runner is figuring out for you what's going to make you feel good in training most of the time. Because again, outside of that kind of two to four week window where you're really peaking and probably mostly peaking for a marathon, you should actually feel pretty good, pretty sustainable year round. And that's going to be better for your long-term development than just cranking miles for the sake of cranking miles and falling asleep in your breakfast cereal every morning because you can't get out of bed. So think about that balance that you need for you and then play with those mileage levels to try to find that happy place because I would submit that for many of us, especially adult athletes that are balancing a lot of things, I would rather you have a slightly lower kind of mileage level that is then sustainable over long periods than be trying to press the edge all the time and therefore always on the edge of injury, perhaps overdoing it mentally so that you're becoming less engaged in training because we're building long-term consistency. That's the variable that matters. And what you hit in one week's worth of mileage is less important than being able to crank out consistent weeks, you know, week after week, month after month, year after year. And so everything is couched in what's sustainable for you. And the last point I'll make on this in this relatively short episode is the idea that comparing yourself to others is really dangerous in a lot of areas, but I think certainly in mileage where what works for some for one individual may not be what will work for you and there's just so many factors that go into how we accept and receive and benefit from whatever mileage level we might want to be at or target. And if you look at somebody else's Strava and think, oh, I should be doing what they're doing, that's probably a bad and dangerous thought. So I would, as as I need to also counsel myself on this, I would resist that temptation to say, oh, if they're doing that mileage, I need to be doing it as well. And while certainly there are some rules of thumb that we can use, as I talked about earlier, that might apply broadly, it still comes down to how you individually respond, what your history is, what your current constraints are, what your goals are, 
what allows you to be happy and healthy physically and mentally. And if those things aren't in balance, then there's no point in just hammering out a certain number just so you can match what your friend is doing or what that athlete you see in races is doing because that will likely be counterproductive for you and potentially stunt your long-term development. So mileage for mileage's sake is something to avoid, especially if it puts you in this comparison trap. So that's something I want to remind everybody about. And yes, miles matter, but there is more to it than just the miles. And that was the point of this episode. So hopefully this discussion gives you a little bit of nuance to think about in in this discussion of miles so that you can hopefully get to a happier and healthier place for you. So thank you all for listening again to this short episode. I will get that interview I recorded up yesterday or recorded yesterday, hopefully fixed and up to you soon because I think it was a, a fascinating discussion. And of course, as always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we will talk to you soon.